In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Well, hey, I'm, I'm excited today uh, about our guest. He goes all the way back uh, to 2001 for me when I picked up a book he wrote called Wild at Heart. So we have John Eldridge with us. And I pulled this off the internet, John. Are you still 55 years old? 57 now. I was going to say Wikipedia. I don't know how, if you made Wikipedia, that says something. So uh, John is 57 years old, lives in Colorado Springs with his wife, Stacy. They have uh, three sons and the middle son is a caribou killer. We saw the picture. Anyway, he came to Christ basically through Francis Schaeffer's writings, right? Any book particular that you read, John, that impacted you? Oh man, it was huge. I was I was part of that '70s generation that was uh-huh. looking hard for something. Yeah, we used to go out in the desert and eat peyote and look for God, and <laughs> and so I wasn't I wasn't awesome. I wasn't looking for a religion. I just don't have any taste for that. Uh, but I did want to know the truth. And Schaefer gave like a worldview, like it's the whole deal. Like yeah. if it's true, it's true. For the arts, the sciences, it's true for everything. Yep. You know, it's not just religion. I don't care about that stuff. So that was, yeah, Francis was huge for me. Man, that's so cool. And it looks like you went to Cal Poly Pomona. I grew up in Cal Poly Slow. Oh, come on. So yeah, I'm from that area. So uh, Larry Crabb looks like was a mentor to you on some level, worked for Focus on the Family, uh, served for five years on staff at Sierra Madre Congregational Church in Southern California. But in 2000, and I didn't realize that the Wild at Heart was this close to uh, you are leaving a family focus on the family where you'd work 12 years and you r- launched ransomed heart ministries. And so, uh, that, that was, uh, kind of the impetus for your uh, books and this th- type of stuff. I went on your, uh, I went onto your page and I, I love this description of ransomed heart ministries. In fact, when I Googled your name, John, I got to admit a lot came up and some of it was negative. And when I read the negative, I liked you even more. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, a guy that can tick people off like that is my kind of guy. I was at a mega, I was at a conference uh, years ago, probably 04, Dale, you were at it, and a mega church got up, a pastor got up there. He was co-pastoring with his wife, and he made a comment that my wife doesn't need to be a beauty who's rescued, and I go, John Eldridge strikes again. I love that guy. Anyway, so funny stuff. But you said that uh, your ministry is interested in three things, crawl. Walk, run with God, number two, stay small, and number three, follow the wild goose. I'm going to talk about later in our interview, but I love that. Uh, You've published, I don't know, I'm guessing it looked like two dozen books, including Wild at Heart, Waking the Dead, Killing Lions with Your Son Sam, which I love that book, Sacred Romance, and you co-authored Captivating with Your Beautiful Wife Stacy, which my wife has used that numerous times in different studies. Uh, You got some big fans here at the table. Uh, Pat does not know this. He's our sound guy. Uh, when I uh, told his wife you were coming on the podcast, she said, you know, uh, her first husband died of brain cancer. And she said, this is Pat right here. He did, he's, he's still alive. <laughs> she said, you know, when my husband died of brain cancer, I had two little little sons in the house and I had no idea 
what to do. So I went and bought John Elders' book, Wild at Heart, and that book taught me how to raise my sons. That's a powerful statement, John. Uh, I have read, when I was 30, I picked up your book and I read it. When I was 40, I picked up your book and I read it. And when I was 50, I picked up your book and I read it. And now uh, I can't find it. Somebody took it from me. I, I loaned it out. But then my son Colton said, who's 19, said, oh, dad, I've got his book. So uh, anyway, we are big fans, John. Uh, we're going to start off here uh, by moving you into what we call our rapid fire round, where I'm going to ask you uh, a few questions, and this is called our word association round. So I'm going to ask you to just give you one word, and I'm going to ask you to tell me what comes in your head with that word. And so I'm really interested. So I asked this, I've picked these words because I'm really inter- intrigued by what you're going to say, okay? Yep. So you're an author, so the first word is quote. Most people quote stuff because they don't have anything to say themselves. <laughs> okay, I will not be quoting your book today. <laughs> That's awesome. How about this one? Adventure. Uh, I crave it. I need it. I think every man does. I think it's like food for the masculine soul. Oh, that is so good. That is, I'm so glad he's on yeah, our podcast. Really that is good. so good. Okay, here's one for you. And this comes from uh, your uh, book that was based on that St. Irenaeus quote. But here's the word, dead. Men. <laughs> like you, most, guy, most guys, what's, it's that great line from Braveheart, right? Every man dies, not every man really lives. Yep, yep. I, and I don't say that like to shame because I was that guy. Wow. Uh but most guys are pretty dead inside. They yeah. just don't don't know what uh, what to do about that. When did you first come to life, John? Um, you know, there is a rescue story. I, I grew up in L.A. I grew up in an alcoholic home. Uh, but I got shipped off. I was kind of a wild kid. Got mm-hmm. in trouble with the police and that kind of thing. And Every summer, my parents would ship me off to my grandfather's cattle ranch in eastern Oregon, and that that was a rescue. Like, that was the beginning of my masculine journey. I didn't even know it, you know, but it ended up being huge for me. And uh, and then the next big coming alive uh, was when I started listening to my heart. Uh, as a man, I was in a job in Washington, D.C. that was killing me, and and uh, I just I couldn't take it anymore. And and I read a quote. I read a quote in a book. OK, so back to quote. <laughs> <clears throat> it said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that, because what the world needs are men who have come alive. Oh, I read like, that somewhere. That was like permission. Yeah, it was per- permission. I quit my job. Uh, and and left DC and went out to find what was true for me. So wait, I've heard that quote before, John. Who who said that, or is that a quote that you wrote in your book? Yeah, I used it somewhere, but it's um, Howard Thurman. Okay, is the uh, Catholic writer, really a uh, good guy. He gets credit for that. Oh, that's awesome. So now all of us are dying right now. Where in Eastern Oregon? Uh, Nyssa. Right outside of Ontario. Oh, gosh. That's by Vail out there. That's a go nowhere and take a right. I shot a yep. buck out there last year. That's where I shot yes, that buck did. in the Oahe yes, unit. Yeah, on the yeah, Oahe River. Oh, I love the Oahe. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal country. Oh, it's unbelievable country. So you grew up, so you were out there. Wow, that's a ways away. How far from Jordan Valley is that? Yeah, it's a bit. It's still like an hour. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not a lot in Eastern Oregon. We have two states here, the state of Eastern Oregon and Wash and East and Western Oregon. So uh wow, that's awesome. Okay, fourth word. You ready? Yep. Wild. Uh you can be. <laughs> you can be. Uh the world tells you you're not supposed to be, but it's pretty core. If you watch what little boys love to do, you know. Oh yeah. They, they love they love to be wild. And then we just we just set out to take it all away. You know what, John? I got to tell you, man, 
Oh, do- remember that dongle I lost at the banquet? He's got it. He's holding it right now. There's my dongle. <laughs> Actually, anyway, well, my house. Okay. I'm holding your dongle. I don't think we ought to say that on the air. Hey, that's yeah. a little wild, huh? Oh, anyway, that's funny. We'll we're, all, we're podcasting through Skype, so we'll he's holding that thing. We'll edit that. Yeah, we'll edit Jeez. that one out. Oh, my gosh. There's a man law violation. Yeah. We make guys mad over here, John, so you're going to love us. So, Well, you know what's really cool, John? I, I, uh, I, I've read numerous books. I've read Wild at Heart once, Waking the Dead, or Wild at Heart three times, Waking the Dead twice. And I'll be honest with you, I was, a, I was a little bit nervous about having you on that you would be a massive disappointment. Because that you would not be the man that your books sound like, yeah. and I am, and I am super excited because you are all that, and so I'm really excited. So here's the next one, next word, wound. So here's the deal: <clears throat> every guy's got a wounded heart. Every guy, you just don't get. You, you live in Normandy, man. This is the Iodrang Valley, mm-hmm. uh, and and you are shot up. But nobody is talking to guys about what to do with that woundedness. Almost all the messages are just get your act together. Yeah. Right. Just be a better man. And you can't you can't ignore the wound. You got you you got a wounded heart and you you can't ignore that because it's shaping a lot of your life right now, especially all your addictions. Most of what most of what you do is medicate the wound. Wow, wow. And if you if you can stop medicating the wound, you can get on with your life. So did you first come up with that concept through uh, Bly's book, Iron John, or was that something that you had determined before that book? No, you know, I uh, I was a therapist in a private practice for oh. a number of years and, and um, just listening to guys' stories. Yeah. Like every single guy. It doesn't matter what, why he came in, you know, he, he, he comes in for his marriage or he comes in for a sexual addiction or he comes in cause he's lost or whatever. Every single guy came back to a wound in his heart. And most of the, most of the time it's the father wound. Um, and so I just began to write and, and talk about that because it seemed pretty universal. Hmm. And Bly mentioned that in his book as well. I did, and I know you yeah. referred back to Iron John. I just didn't know if there was a correlation between that book and your discovery of the wound. So, okay, last word. And we're going to get into some of our questions. I, I've got uh, questions I just have to hear from, hear the answers. But here's the last word: captivating. <clears throat> so, every little girl has one question that she's asking. And every little boy has one question, and they're very different. Mm. A little guy wants to know, do I have what it takes? Yep. And so, you know, he wants to ride his bike with no hands. He wants to see if he can hit the ball out of the park. He, he, you know, he wants to do double black diamonds. Whatever it is, he wants to know, do I have what it takes? The little girl is asking, am I captivating? Mm. Like, do I have a beauty that I can offer the world? And it's not about being Barbie and it's not, a, you know, it's not about that. But a woman really wants to know, does anybody see me? Do you see me? Hmm. And do you like what you see? Uh, and, and most of the gals, you know, that get wounded, her wound is in that place. Wow. So you and Stacy have been married how long? 37 years. Do you have still have to affirm that she is good enough, that she is captivating, or has she dealt with that? I'm just, I'm asking more for my wife. We've just celebrated 25 years of marriage. Yeah. And she has a shirt that she wears often and says, just feed me tacos and tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> so, so last night I actually made her tacos because she was depressed and told her she was pretty. But does, how, does that carry through life? I mean, you're ahead of me in this. Talk me, talk me through this. Yeah. David Wilcox has a great song that guys should look up on YouTube. It's called breaking the cup. And, and he just talks about in the, in our relationships, everybody's got a break in their cup and particularly women guys, particularly women they're, they have a leaky cup and it doesn't matter that you told them that you loved them last week. You got to tell her again today and, and you got to tell her tomorrow and you got to tell her the next day. So like, yes, I think that there's pretty core 
there are core moments in a woman's life where she really comes to understand that she's loved. Mm-hmm. But uh, she also has a leaky cup, and you got to tell her you're beautiful. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, pretty much, pretty if not every day, pretty much every week. Now, is that part of I'm I'm going back to your book Wild at Heart here? But is that part? of rescuing your beauty or is there more D- describe what you meant by rescuing your beauty <clears throat> so um y- you got to have a framework of war if you don't have a framework of war you, you won't understand most of your life mm-hmm. uh the world is at war and it doesn't take a lot like two million kids are trafficked into the sex trade every year i mean wow. that's wicked yeah. stuff right and, and the number of guys that get taken out through meth and heroin. I mean, 16-year-old kid down the street. Yeah. Good kid from a good home got totally taken out by heroin. Um, we're at war, guys. Yeah, for sure. We're at war. And, and you've got to understand your wife or the girl you're dating or the one you're pursuing, she has been assaulted in the war. Uh, the number of women who've been sexually abused is just insane. Mm-hmm. And, and and so um, she's kind of locked down. And, and, and to fight for her, to pursue her heart, is really going to test you as a man. Uh, because the thing is, like, here's the trick. Most guys think that the woman is the fountain of life, right? This, mm-hmm. is, the whole porn, this is the whole porn thing. Yeah. Like, she looks like life. And then you get into the relationship and you realize, holy cow, not only is she not the fountain of life, <laughs> she's a bottomless well. Yeah. Like, no matter what I pour in there, it's not enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is where a man is really tested. It, it's, it, will you keep offering? Will you keep loving uh, despite how it's going? Like it really, it, it just changes the whole way you approach the thing. Yeah, you got to tell her she's beautiful. Yeah, you got to tell her you care. Uh, that's part of what it means to fight for her. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. I mean, I, my wife is a very strong woman, but in closed doors, she becomes a bottomless well. It's like when we get inside closed doors, that strength that she puts forth, it, that facade comes down and it's just like, <sighs> that is so good, man. I appreciate that. So my rescue in her is through pouring down to that well. Yeah, it really is. And and it and and being kind to her brokenness. Ooh. Like every woman's broken. Every woman's broken, right? Because yeah. she's got a broken story. And 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 rather than being pissed about that and and telling her to get her act together. Which, you know, come on, guys, like we kind of want her to just get her act together. It it would just make our life go so much easier if she would just get her act together. But instead of being, you know, ticked at her brokenness, if we can just begin to offer kindness there. Mm. I have I have never met a tough girl that actually wasn't really broken inside. Absolutely. That's so good, man. So, so rescuing, so you, your words have been misconstrued to some level because some people think that rescuing your beauty means, uh, she needs you to hold the door. She needs you to do these things, which, which I do for my wife, but it's an act of honor. She's fully capable of walking on the street side. She's fully capable of, of walking through the door first. She's fully capable of walk, opening her own car door and getting inside the car but I do that to honor her. But you're saying rescuing her is a much deeper thing. Well, and again, it's not to say she's um, she's incapable. The whole rescue the beauty thing has ticked a lot of women off because it's like, whoa, <laughs> I'm I'm fine. I don't need some man to come do that. I, and I, it's not a belittling thing. It when you when you love someone, you have to fight for them. Yep. And you're going to find that's true for your kids. Oh, man, are you going to have to fight for them? And it, it may be fighting for their education. It may be fighting for their self-worth. It may be fighting, you know, the drug culture out of their life. You know, there's a lot of fights you're going to be in for your kids. Well, the same thing's true for your wife. And it doesn't belittle her. It doesn't mean she she's incompetent. 
it just means that um, God made men warriors on behalf of others, right? Yeah. Um, and so who are you fighting for? Who, who are you fighting for? It's a pretty good question to ask yourself. Well, we live in a world where women's defenses are already up, right? They sense any kind of, I'm weaker than you. And my thing is, hey, be as strong as you need to be, but you're different than me. We are different. And so, well, I have a question for you, John. You mentioned your sons. So I have three sons. They are 23, ah. 21, and 19. So I have a college graduate, a college senior, and a college freshman who's the starting punter at our local college here. Right on. S- sidebar, bragging parent. And now you have three sons. Yep. And how old are your sons? 28, 26, 24. <laughs> we should do lunch sometime. Anyway, yeah, so, so talk to me about this. How do we fight? Because I have found something interesting, and maybe maybe I'm an oddity here or some kind of anomaly, but I find myself fighting for my sons more now than when they were teenagers. Can you talk me through that? Is that a false statement, or are you finding that as well? No, that's this is the book on parenting that needs to get written, that fighting for your young adult children will actually be one of the biggest fights of your life. Yeah. Because the stakes get higher, you know, when you're when you're back in the Lego days and I loved the Lego days, man, those are awesome times. It's it's wrestling matches and it's ice cream and it's, you know, Buzz Lightyear and it's Legos. Right. Yeah. Um, But when they're older, their choices begin to have massive consequences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, live in it. They can totally tank their life. And so I, yeah, I'm with you. I, I am fighting more for my sons now, and and it and it like they need a dad now as much as ever. They need a father, right? Yeah. And the questions the questions are bigger because now they're in marriages of their own, and they're like, "Whoa, dad, what do I do?" You know, and and they're they're in money, and and money's tight, and they're in work, and work is hard, and um. What we're really talking about is the opportunity to father mm. never goes away. True, it, true. It never goes away. Yep. Gosh, that is so good. Yeah, I, 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 it's tough because in the church, that that twenty-something crowd is kind of neglected, and and in, in life, these young men are struggling to get traction. Right? They came out of college. They've got a ton of debt. Uh, they've they they they're trying to find a job. They're having a problem getting traction, but they've got this debt to pay off. They've they may or may not be in a dating relationship. They may or not be married, but there's this traction thing, and that can be extremely disheartening for a young man when he's not able to get traction after four years of an investment. And so, um, I'm personalizing the battle a little dude, bit here. <laughs> it, it, dude, it's more serious than that. Suicide is the second leading cause of death of young men in their 20s in wow. the U.S. And it's the first leading cause of death for young men in their 20s in the UK. Wow. Like, we are talking a serious war for these young men. Yeah. And they, they stepped into the world where after 2008 um, and the economic collapse. Uh, the average job pays less. The work is harder to find. The millennial men, they, they need a hand. They need they need some fathering. Man, that's encouraging. That just uh, draws me into uh, deeper into the fray here. So, well, I'm going to jump into your book, Wild at Heart, uh, and I, I think this this question is going to segue into what we've been talking about. Your subtitle of that book is "Discovering the Secrets of a Man's Soul." So, what does that mean? What is the secret? Well, okay. So, first off, that you have one. Yeah. Right. Like most guys, the big, <laughs> yeah. the, the big epiphany is you have an internal world. Yeah. And your internal world is more important than your external world. And most guys are just working really hard to fix the external. Uh. Like if I can just get money figured out, if I can just get my yard figured out, if I can, you know, um, if I can just get sex figured out. And and those things are important, but the deal is, I wrote the book to say you have a soul, guys. Oh, that's and your, good. Your inner life actually demands your best attention. 
Because if you'll pay attention to the inner world, the outer world is going to change dramatically. Wow. Well, you know, I've I've interviewed, my last two interviews have been authors, two men. And so, uh, and I have not said this to those guys, and I'm going to say this to you. Your book, Wild at Heart, I believe is the is the most powerful book on manhood I've ever read. And I've read a price, 70 books on men, and I've written nine. And this book has been so powerful in my life. I can't, I can't thank you enough. But here's my question, John. Have your I read the first my first reading, I was a 32-year-old man. I had babies in the home. Uh, I was, you know, we were dirt poor, you know, type of thing. Have your views changed at all? about men since you wrote that book? Or are you still standing on that book? Oh, not at all. It hasn't changed at all. I think I would have, if I could go back and I think I would have said more about the importance of gender and and showed some of like the neuroscience and the biology research Uh that proves it. Because now we're in a world, Wild at Heart came right before the gender collapse. Yeah. Um, But now we're in a world that doesn't even believe in gender anymore. And and so I think I would try and help people understand. No, 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 guys, like gender is a real thing. It's not a spectrum. It, you either are or you aren't. And and male and female have like this enormous amount of dignity to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's all kinds of research to show that now. Like it's not it's actually not something that's up in question. If you just look at the data. Uh, well, that that so okay. I'm gonna we're gonna take a short break to hear from our sponsors, John. But I want to come back and I want to ask you more about this gender collapse. Okay, so we'll be right back in a second. The Man Card Podcast is sponsored by the Great Hunt for God and its mission to transform lives through teams of men. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Start a team in your city today by purchasing our five volume curriculum, appropriately called the Man Card Series at www.thegreathuntforgod.com You can also find it on the Great Hunt for God app under gear. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies heavily on our monthly financial champions. If this podcast has helped you to get out of the bleachers and into the arena, consider becoming a monthly financial champion and you'll receive the field guide, my bathroom book for men with 365 daily readings. To give, just click the give button on our app or website on the menu drop down. This year will be our first ever Man Card Men's Weekend. If you're interested in hosting a Man Card Men's Weekend with the men in the arena in your city, contact us for available dates. And lastly, go to Facebook and join the Men in the Arena Closed Group. This is an exciting forum where we'll discuss what a man is and does with men in the arena from all around the world. Thank you again for championing the cause of the Great Hunt for God. Okay, here we are. <laughs> hey, so John, you talked about I've never heard the phrase gender collapse. So can you tell me what that is and when did that happen in your mind? Well, sir, for example, National Geographic had a cover story this year, 2017, on gender. Uh, and even the image on the cover, it was about 12, 8 to 12 young, young adults, men and women in their 20s. And the whole idea is it's a spectrum. You, you're anything from a woman to a man to uh, transgender to gay, lesbian, queer, you know, just um, gender is something that's um, fluid. It's something you can swap out. It's something you can move in and out of. And, and if you don't like if you don't like your gender, you, you can trade it in including through surgery to 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 pick a new gender. Okay. So that's the gender collapse. It's a society that no longer believes that gender is a stable thing. Now I want to say very quickly, it's a broken thing. Yeah, yeah. Gender gender men and women are deeply broken. Human beings are broken, but that doesn't mean gender itself is a fluid um abstract uh frankly it's not even a thing. You just choose what you want to be, right? Uh, gender is very, very deep in the human soul. And and the deepest brokenness that people experience is at the level of gender. And, and, and this, you know, guys, th- we are, when you have a culture 
that is confused about gender, you have a culture in its final stages of collapse. Whoa. Yeah, I, I you're hitting the nail on the head here, man. Well, this is going to bring me to a topic that I think you've got some opinions about, the church. So your book is a Christian book. You're a Christian author. Uh, your book highly uh, affected my life. But have you seen, we've got this gender collapse occurring. The church is wrestling with how to handle it. Have you seen your writings, have you seen the church change in its attitude towards men and gender since you wrote Wild Heart? Oh, big time. <clears throat> and there's two things going on. One's very, very positive, and one is very, very troubling. Um, the the positive thing is what you guys are doing. I mean, there's there is all kinds of great stuff going on for guys now, yeah. like this podcast, right? Like good things are happening. Guys are getting together with guys. They're sorting it out. They're talking about their life. What does it mean to be a man? And they're really making some progress, mm -hmm. right? They're, yeah. Um, so I wanted to say that, like, there's some really good news. So the problem is, if you just go into any big church and watch the male worship leaders. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Want a sloppy wet kiss while I'm at it? It's the, it's the skinny jeans. It's the effeminate, you know, it, it's... Um, it, it's well, and that's that millennial generation that's really confused about gender. Yes. So yes. Within the church. And the problem is this goes way back because basically what we did is we emasculated Jesus and we yes. made Jesus. He's a girly boy. Yeah. Right. Yep. We made, we made Jesus into a girly boy. Jello Jesus. And, and then guys come into that environment and they're like, really? Like, this is who I'm supposed to follow? I'm out. Uh, I'm not interested. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm following yeah. this girly boy, this blonde haired, blue eye, skinny guy. Who's a wimpy guy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so, but he, he named his two best buddies, the rock and the sons of thunder. I mean, this right. guy was a, the, uh, he was the man of men. And I mean, man, you're hitting the nail on the head. That it just speaks to our, here's the other problem. Uh, John is that we turn the heat up in the churches. Hey, turn the heat down for the men. We turn the lights up. Turn the lights down. Get the flowers off the thing. Throw some junipers on there with some pine trees. Let the men smell with their senses the church. Sing masculine lyrics like, and get rid of songs that say your fragrance is intoxicating in our secret place. We're talking David Murrow stuff here. Uh, let's let's make church a place where men can experience the true biblical Jesus. And so that's so good, man. I, I I'm hoping that we're going to move back towards that. It feels like there's been a gap since the Promise Keeper days, and guys like you have come in with your writings and you've helped fill in that gap. But it seems like something needs to happen in the church. I mean, well, the the problem is is that you have this gender collapse going on in the culture, <clears throat> and the culture continues to deeply shape the church. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm afraid that, and I've said this multiple times, that the mega church and its strategy, and uh, uh, it's lack of desire to even budget dollars to help men has really, uh, and they're targeting women and children has really hurt because these huge mega mega churches and they don't target the men and they create an atmosphere in the setting that men uh, are repulsed by, in my opinion. But maybe that's just yeah. my opinion. So just well, my opinion. Yeah, and there's some good news. There's there are some churches that are taking that super seriously, and and the um the key thing is this. The male leadership in the church need to be men. Yes. Not just very nice guys. Yes. And, and if you have real men in leadership, guys will come. Yeah, I, won't, I agree. That's, that won't be a problem. Guys will come. That is so good, man. So, hey, I'm going to go back to this book, uh, Wild at Heart. You're probably going, man, that book's 20, 20 years old. And they're interviewing about Wild at Heart. But this book has been... It, it, like I said, it is the number one classic for men, and I, I just have to get our men on this book. So I don't care how old the book is. It's relevant for today. Uh, we deal with men in the, we call it the stress bubble. So 25 to 55, raising kids, getting a gun, serving their, getting getting a gun. <laughs> Hopefully getting it done, serving in their community. And so these guys need to hear this stuff. And you call these, uh, I think I'm right in saying, these are the three core passions of men. And can you... 
tell us how you got to those three core passions. And the guys listening, if they don't know, they're an adventure to live, a beauty to rescue, and a battle to fight. I don't know if I have it in the right order. I think it's flipped around a little bit. But those three core passions, how did you arrive at those three? Was there a close fourth that we didn't hear about? No. Just look at the movies men love. Look at the video (laughs) games they play. Yeah. Right? You just what because that just tells you like what stirs men's hearts. What gets their attention? Look at commercials for men. Like it's really basic stuff, guys. You, yeah. I was watching. You just watch the latest. Uh, I was watching the World Series and the ads for the new Call of Duty video game. You know, it's it. Every man, there it is. It's battle. It's like I want to. I want to be strong. I want to be powerful. I want to make a difference. I want to feel like my life has impact. I want to feel like I have a strength. Yeah. Right. That's that's what all that means around battle. An adventure, like where do guys spend their money? Just look at where they spend their money, <laughs> right? Their, look at their garage. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Like adventure, and we've shamed it, right? Like boy toys and derogatory statements like that. Yeah. But adventure, as we said earlier, adventure is actually a spiritual longing in the heart of men, and you need adventure to strengthen you. Uh, and and then the beauty, like if. Like, does that take any explanation? You want to sell men anything. Razor blades, cheese, auto parts. They, <laughs> they just they just they just put the beauty there. Put right? a bikini just, d- bikini up, girl. <laughs> come on. You well, put so, the tart up there and, and that's it. Like Oh man, that's so good. So so I have a, there's a statement that I, I, I love it. It says I'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than in the church thinking about the mountains. Is that what you're talking about when you're saying men need this adventure and they experience God in the adventure? Yep, totally. Man, that's exactly. you, you know, John, my son Darby and I, he's my middle son, he's 21. We backpacked into the uh into uh Eastern Oregon. We went from 5,000 to 8,000 feet, which in Oregon that's a huge mountain. That's right. that's just barely above Denver where you're at. But we were up there, we got caught in a snowstorm. Uh, he was very very sick the day before and he just kind of sucked it up. So now we're at 8,000 feet. It's snowing on our tarp that's covering our three-season tent. We're wet. My down bag is wet. And he says, Dad, this isn't fun. Can you tell me about fun hunting stories? And I had just killed a 300-class bull the week before, and I said, well, that wasn't fun. It was great to celebrate, but the fun stories all involved pain and suffering and near-death experiences. And I realized, man, I'm either demented or there's something in a man's soul that needs to suffer. Can you talk us through that? Yeah. Do you, have, have you guys tracked with Stephen Ranella at all? Do you know him as a hunting author? No. He's oh, he's killer. He's a great. He's a. He's got a show called Meat Eater, and his. Oh. his anyway, ranella has got this. He's got this statement where he says, uh, "All of the things that draw me to hunting, uh, putting myself in dangerous situations." enduring weather, uh, pushing the physical limits. He says, it's the stuff I don't like when I'm in it, but it's the stuff I love to talk about afterwards. Yes. Okay, so here's the deal, guys. If I could just give you one thing, um, it's not about easy and it's not about comfortable. Like everything in your world is telling you it's about easy and it's about comfortable. True. It's about heat seaters in your car and drive-through coffee and somebody else cutting your lawn. You know, but the thing is, is the masculine soul dies when it's easy and comfortable. So good. Men come alive when things go sideways. And you get guys together, you you ask them, hey, tell me about some of the best times in your life. They're gonna tell you gnarly stories where stuff went sideways and it wasn't easy and it wasn't comfortable. But they came alive in Man, it. That's so good. And I'm so glad you used the word gnarly. Finally, somebody else uses the word gnarly. I thought it was pretty right. Finally, stoked and gnarly. What's going on with this world? Hey, what's Steve's last name? Can you spell it for me? Renella. R-I-N-E-L-L-A. Stephen Renella. Great appreci- show. And he's got some killer books out. I appreciate that. Well, so, okay, so adventure to live, battle to fight, beauty to rescue. If you were to choose one for you personally, John, what would it be? Well, <clears throat> I wish it was the beauty. 
<laughs> but but the thing is, it's just not true. Like a man needs a bigger story than a woman. Yeah. She's she's just not a big enough story. And when you make the woman the big story, she ends up hating you for it. I agree. Um, and so I would say battle. I'd say battle. Uh, I'm a warrior. I'm designed that way. Uh, I'm not happy if I'm not in the fight. And I want to help other guys recover the warrior in them. Would you say that the battle, uh, uh, a synonym would be purpose or mission? <clears throat> Is that what you mean? Yeah, mission with sacrifice. Oh, that's good. Purpose that purpose that requires courage. Because you can you can have a a mission, but it's still about easy and it's about comfortable. Yeah. Right. It's when the mission gets costly. It's when you bleed. Now you're in the battle. Yeah. Wow. I actually trying to get a hold of Sergeant Malarkey, who was from Band of Brothers, uh, D Day. Uh, he lives in Salem, Oregon. He's from Astoria. And I went to get him on my podcast and he passed away at 96 years old. But that's the stuff you're talking about. Yep. You're talking <clears throat> about getting, yeah, man, that is so good, man. So, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you already kind of convinced me on this, but when I read your book at 30, now talk me through this. I, I went through battle to fight, beauty to rescue, adventure to live. You start off the book with a chapter on elk hunting. I'm like, I'm like freaking pumped. And then I got to page 60, the wound. And I'll be honest with you. I'm just being real honest, okay? As a 30-year-old man, I struggled with that chapter. Totally. As a 40-year-old man, I began to understand it. As a 50-year-old man, I've embraced it because I had an experience the day before my I killed that big bull. I knew something was wrong with me, that God was wanting to reveal something in me. I couldn't figure out what it was. I was just struggling internally, not with any normal, abnormal sins or anything. Just And I, uh, through uh, the counsel of a friend, I realized that somewhere way back in my past, not blaming my father, great dad, but I did, uh, I did incur a wound that has led me to seek the affirmation of others and the validation of others that that manifests itself through competition, cynical, being cynical, uh, comparing myself to others, uh, basically being a very judgmental guy because I needed to have others validate me. And so I was able to discover that wound. But I know there are guys here listening that would go, wound, just suck it up, buttercup. How, how yep. would you, but we, but you know, but we have guys, we have, Viet, uh, we have a, we have veterans committing suicide at a, a rate of 22 a day. These are warriors, and they aren't sucking it up, Buttercup. So how do we address this wound in a way that guys can uh, experience the life-changing effects from it? Okay, so you got to start with the wound doesn't mean you're weak. Thank you. Okay, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that you're a puss because you have a wound. We aren't going to edit right? that, by the way. That's okay to use <clears throat> It, it, it is that because that's where guys begin to choke on this thing. Of, yeah. Wait a second. You're, you're telling me that, that I'm weak inside. I'm no, pansy. we're telling you that in this world, which is a world at war in the story of your life, you have taken multiple wounds oh. and some of some of it has been to your dreams and some of it's been to your identity. Some of it's been in your sexuality. Uh, you, you have been wounded. I guarantee it. And, and it doesn't mean you're blowing it because you're wounded. This is universal. It does mean if you don't attend to those wounds, they will eventually take you out. Yeah. Your cynicism, your anger, uh, frankly, your addictions. Yeah. All of your addictions. The good news is, guys, it's actually not about your addiction. It, it's why are you medicating? That's oh, the issue. Oh, yes. And, and so guys try and overcome, you know, they try and stop drinking or quit smoking or they try and stop, you know, looking at porn online. And it, most of the time it doesn't work because you're tinkering with the external. And like I said, you have a soul, you mm -hmm. have an internal world. What you have to ask is, what is the comfort I am looking for here? Wow. What, what am I trying to medicate? And I'll guarantee you it's some pain from your story. Yeah. That is so good, man. Gosh, that is, how are we doing on time? Are we okay? I don't mm -hmm. want to violate your time, John. Sure appreciate it. 
Okay, I, but I have to go to something in the wild in Wild at Heart that was so profound for me personally. Three years ago, I made it an alarm that pops up on my phone every morning at nine o'clock a.m. So this is a quote, an indirect quote from you out of the book Wild at Heart, somewhere around page one seventy eight. So by 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 uh, one seventy eight, I'm I'm kind of winding down the book. I've experienced the wound uh, ch- uh, sections. I've experienced the beauty to rescue, battle to fight, adventure to live. You know, I'm, I'm winding down. In my first two readings, I missed it. But my last reading, which happened about two years ago, I was probably 49, I read this quote, and it just has profoundly impacted my life. It sounds like an arrogant statement on the surface, but I want you to talk to the depth, the soul depth of this statement, okay? Here is the quote. I have it memorized. It's on my phone every morning at 9 o'clock. Let the world feel the weight of who I am and let them deal with it. Man, that's so powerful. I'm pumped up right now. Can you talk me through that? Why why, why yeah. that? What's the impact in your life? Because you were quoting a friend who told yeah. that to you. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple things that are really big in this. First off, a story. I had lunch with a guy yesterday. And uh, actually, he's an awesome guy, and and he's a he's a big time hunter, and so we were swapping elk hunting and caribou hunting stories and stuff. But after the lunch, I just found my I was so tired, like it really burned me out. And I realized it was because I had to hide most of who I am in order to hang out with this guy. Oh, and that's good. And I don't mean I'm hiding, you know, dark stuff. I just mean he can't handle the rest of me. And <laughs> and and most guys most guys feel like they have to hide most of who they are in order to get along at work, in order to get along at church, in order to get along with their friends. They just offer, you know, a fraction of who they are. Mm. But the problem is um, it's exhausting, and you end up you end up pretty pissed. <clears throat> but the other thing is this: is that um, most men are posing. Oh. They're, they're they're BSing their way through life. They they're they're putting on a front, a false self to the world. Everything's great. I'm killing it. You know, I'm funny. I'm smart. Whatever. I'm successful. I'm I'm strong. I'm athletic. You, you pick the pose. You pick the fig leaf. The poser is not going to be rewarding. You're not mm. you're not going to be satisfied with that um, because you're living out a false self. You're you're faking it through life. And so the idea of letting people feel the weight of who you are involves first. You you got it. You got to drop the poser. And it's going to feel like suicide. It's going to feel like a massive jump to stop the poser. Uh, you don't have to be funny all the time. You don't have to be in control all the time, whatever your deal is, okay? Um, the, more, the more you begin to stop posing, and the more you begin to be the true self, you are actually going to taste a strength coming out of you that is going to be so satisfying, you're just going to want more of it. And, wow. and what's happening is you are becoming true. You're becoming true. Hmm. And, the, and the more you allow yourself to be true, not faking it, not hiding, um, there's a weightiness to your life that, that um, some people are going to be drawn to and others are going to be uh, frightened by, and you just got to let that be. And that's okay. That's that's okay. Yeah. Oh man, that's so powerful. Uh, the fear of exposure. You know, you said the fig leaf. I'm thinking about Adam in the garden. Man, I'm not hung enough. Or oh, shrinkage. You know, I mean, we kind of live our lives walking around, going, "Whoa, am I? Do I got what it takes to be exposed in public?" I'm talking figuratively, of course, but I think there's a real fear that men have of, "Will you like me? Am I good enough?" What did you say earlier? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? It just goes back to that, doesn't it, John? Yep, it totally does. So here's a thought I had when I when I uh, as I'm processing this. When I give people a fraction of the weight that makes up Jim Ramos, I'm not only robbing them of my best version, 
But aren't I also saying to God, you screwed this up, God? Because oh, you're saying I don't trust you. Oh, that hurt. I don't, I, I don't trust you because this is this may this is going to make my marriage tough. This is going to make my work tough if I start being who I actually am. And I don't mean being a dick, guys. I, yeah. I mean that that you are being true. It's uh, you're, yeah, it's going to make things messy for a while. And and you're you either going to say I trust you. I trust you, Father, that you're going to be there for me. Or you're saying, I don't trust you, and so I'm going to fake it. Yeah, so fake it till you make it. That's a crock of crap. It's horrible advice. Absolutely right. I love that, man. That, well, and that's, you know, the hard part, John? So I've just come out of this whole, I've had this epiphany experience the day before this elk hunt. I actually was going to leave the hunt, and my buddy said, no, 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 stay. God's going to bless you now. And uh, he did. But uh, the hard part is after 51 years of life and on a level, uh, t- to use your term, faking it, now I have engaged a whole new battle in my life of being that best version and and surrendering and trusting the God who will validate and who will affirm, and then building that into a lifestyle of rhythm, the rhythm of doing that, where I've had 51 years of bondage in trying to be that guy who won the pissing contest in the redneck circle. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. So, uh, man, that is just, that is well, the cool. The cool thing is now your life's exciting again. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to be bored. No, that's absolutely true. And then, and then you'll figure out who the people are that are in your life that will stay there. And the other thing too, is when you step into your best version now and people feel the whole weight of who you are, they are, they are benefit, they are benefactors of that in a way that they were only a fraction of a benefactor before. Exactly. Gosh, that's exactly. so good. That's so good. So, hey, do you guys have any questions you want to ask or anything? I've, I've kind of ignored these guys, uh, but do you guys have anything you want to talk to John about or ask him? <laughs> um, I want to go hunting <laughs> with John. Do you? <laughs> A big, big kitty oh, or something. Oh, big great. kitty. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Pat, do you have anything you want to add? No. You've been sending me little notes the whole, yeah, the no, whole my, summer. I, oh. I'd like the speaking into the fear of exposure was one thing that I yeah. thought would be good. But, yeah. yeah. Thank All right. Well, hey, John, appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks so much for coming on our podcast. Uh, we are just so pumped. And I'd love to get you back on and talk about Waking the Dead. Because that book, uh, I read that book the day, the two days before I announced my resignation from the church and that we are launching the full, uh, Great Hunt for God full-time, becoming full-time nonprofit organization missionaries. And so you know the fear there. And that book greatly impacted me. And uh, actually, I was in a coffee shop in Sisters, Oregon. And I read a quote on a coffee cup that said, the glory of God is man fully alive. And then I read your book and I went, holy crap, this is awesome. So uh, God has used you in my life, man. And I just want to let you know that and thank you so much. And so, men, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Uh, Helping us transform the lives of men and those they love is as easy as one, two, three. Uno, listen to the podcast. Two, share it with your friends. Trace. Write a positive review. If you like, uh, if you give us your input, guys, about topics or guys you'd want to hear from, we w- uh, would love to hear that. Remember, this is No Neil November. So if you're a vet, we want to set you up with a free download of the bathroom book for men. If you want the hard copy, guys, uh, just uh, let me know and send me 10 bucks. We'll mail that to your door and I'll even have Dale autograph it for you. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, baby. Hey, guys, get in the arena, grind it out. Let this world feel the full weight of who you are. Get muddy, get sweaty. At the end of the day, guys, be a man. man. (laughs) What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.